families. Uh, Would you stand for the reading of God's Word, please? I want to talk to you this morning out of Matthew chapter 6. And this morning I want to talk to you about an urgent call to wise living. And folks, as you hear these words, I couldn't help but be drawn to this passage at the beginning of a new year. And as we get started this morning, I I want to ask you, as we read this text, to consider... What changes need to be made in your spiritual life in 2021 to get back on track? Many people have mentioned how, what a difficult time, even spiritually, 2020 has been for them. What changes do you need to make to get back on track? What's one thing, what's one adjustment that perhaps you need to make here at the beginning of a new year? Matthew 6, beginning there in verse 19, Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Father, speak to our hearts today. Lord, as we are faced now, at the very beginning of a new year, help us all to reflect where we are spiritually and what we're investing in. What are we trading a day of our lives for? And Lord, who knows, this may be the year you come back for your bride. And I pray that you would find your bride holy and pure, and about your business. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, thinking about the college service that will begin tonight, and by the way, let me correct myself, it's not when we hear epic, it's not just college. Obviously, college students make a big part of that, but I tell you, even though I love education, we know that not, not every young person needs to go to college, that we need people going into the trades. And so really the EPIC ministry is designed to reach that group as well, 18 to 25, whether in college or not. And you know, that's such a pivotal time in somebody's life where they are making life-altering decisions, career, family, and so forth. And you know, thinking about this message in college students, I was drawn, I I remembered the story of one college student that no doubt you've read about, Jim Elliott. 
Jim Elliott was a missionary to Ecuador who gave his life for the sake of the gospel. Speared to death by the very people he went to reach. But you may not know a great deal about this young man. And so I want to share some thoughts about his life from you from both his writings and the writings of his wife, Elizabeth Elliot. By the way, one book that has impacted college students tremendously is a book that Elizabeth Elliot wrote on Jim, her husband, and the other four missionaries with him who were speared to death. It's a book entitled, Through Gates of Splendor. I would encourage you to read that book. Again, it's impacted a lot of young people. Well, through her writing, she says, As he left on board a ship bound for mission work in Ecuador, he wrote, We left our moorings at the outer harbor dock, San Pedro, California, at 2.06 p.m. today. Mom and Dad stood watching together at the pier side. As we slipped away, Psalm 6012 came to mind, and I called back, Through our God we shall do valiantly. They wept. I do not understand how God has made me. Joy, sheer joy, and thanksgiving feel and encompass me. God has done and is doing all I ever desired, much more than I ever asked. Praise, praise to the God of heaven and to his son Jesus, because he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I may boldly say, I will not fear. While a student at Wheaton College, Jim limited his extracurricular activities fearing that he might get wrapped up in non-essentials and it would hinder him from what Christ had called him to do. He refused requests to run for various offices on the campus. He did, however, go out for wrestling, explaining His choice in a letter to his mom, he said, I wrestle solely for the strength and coordination of muscle tone that the body receives while working out with the ultimate end, that of presenting a more useful body as a living sacrifice to Christ. In November of 1947, Jim wrote a letter to his parents which showed where his ambitions were. He said, and I quote, The Lord has given me a hunger for righteousness and piety that alone can be of himself. Such hungering he alone can satisfy, yet Satan would delude and cast up all sorts of other hindrances. Social life, a name renowned, a position of importance, scholastic achievement. What are these but the objects of the desire of the Gentiles whose cravings are warped and perverted? Life is not here, but hid above with Christ in God, and therein I rejoice and sing as I think on such exaltation. Now folks, I share that with you this morning because here was a man in modern times who lived out these verses that we've read today in Matthew chapter 6. Jim Elliot heard 
Jesus' call upon his life. A call to kingdom living, a call to urgent living for the sake of the gospel. And you know what? We admire people like that. But we're not just to sit back and read about them and admire them. We ought to each strive to model our own lives after Christ calling for us. Now in these verses Jesus is inviting each of us. Each of us as his disciples to live right. And I want to say to you what we've been through the last year in our nation with COVID should not impact one iota what Jesus is talking about here. You know, during the, during the pandemic, people have been saying they, they feel so disconnected. They feel so lost. They're struggling with their spiritual life. They talk about how easy it's been to lose their focus off of what's most important. And we read in the news about what is going on in people's lives. Spouse abuse, child abuse, drug abuse, suicide. On and on we could go. And so I think we would have to say as a culture, we have not fared so well this last year. Recently I read a study uh, dated before the pandemic that was looked at by sociologists, economists, and psychologists, all three. And the study made the front pages of both the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. Now... Mind you, these were sociologists, psychologists, economists, not preachers talking. And yet they were talking about how Americans have entertained themselves to death by various means and how everything we have tried as individuals and families and a society has left us bankrupt and empty. Another sociologist out of the University of California at Berkeley said he read this study and the details of it and he said it left him, and I quote, profoundly sad. You know, I couldn't help as I read those words to think about Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon commented on how he had tried it all. He had built bigger and better houses. Bigger flocks and herds than anybody else. Bigger gardens, more learning. He had increased his wealth. He turned to every kind of entertainment known to man. He even increased the number of women that he had had relationships with. And how did he end it all? You remember what he said? His conclusion was, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. He gets to the end of that book. And and you remember what he said? He said, I've learned this. Remember God and put Him first in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come. Too many people have bought into Satan's life living for this world and what the world has to offer and they've come up bankrupt. But folks, rather than feeling hopeless, we see in these verses that Jesus is calling us to a better life. He's calling us to a life as God intended a life of purpose. He's giving us a very clear call to live wisely. And again, nothing we're going through currently diminishes one bit Jesus' clarion call in these verses. 
I want to invite you to take some notes along with me this morning. See, first of all, a secure, Jesus is talking about us making a secure investment for both now and eternity. Look again at verse 19. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal for where your true eternity do we the Bible says in Matthew chapter 24 for the coming of the son of man will be just like the days of Noah for as in those days which were before the flood they were eating and drinking they were marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark and they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away so shall the coming of the son of man be Then there shall be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore be on the alert for you do not know which are those who enter by it. I want you to notice what Jesus is saying here. Very few make a solid investment with their soul in the things that really matter. Could Christ be talking specifically to somebody here in particular this morning? Could it be you? Folks, if we have misplaced priorities with our soul, which is our most precious possession, then what about everything else in life? If we mess up with what's most important, we probably mess up with everything else on down the line. Jesus addresses here one of the biggest indicators of what we value. It's what we do with our money. It's what we do with our possessions. You see, what we do with these things can easily be a window into our soul that reveals everything else about our life. Jesus is talking about things here that are very tangible, that are very measurable. You know an activity that they are already guilty of. And think about it, if they were that guilty of it in the first century, how about us today in the 21st century? Now let's define what he's saying and what he's not saying. He's not condemning wealth. It's not a sin to have money. We've got families in our church blessed with money and they love to give and we're thankful for that. It's the love of money that's the root of evil. Both in the Old Testament and New Testament alike, we see that we have the right to material possessions, including money, land, animals, homes, clothing, everything else that's honestly acquired. Some of the greatest biblical characters were very wealthy people. Joseph of Arimathea, Abraham, Job. Jesus is not condemning money. He's condemning the love of it. The Bible also talks about the need to work hard and save for the future. The book of Proverbs is loaded with admonitions related to that. And so again, Jesus is obviously not condemning money or wealth. 
What's he guarding against then? What's he warning about? He's telling us to, to guard against allowing things to become the treasure of our lives. We have to have stuff to live with, but stuff isn't to be our treasure or our focus. You know, it's one thing to own possessions. It's quite another to let possessions own you. And you know what? It all goes back to the purpose of life, doesn't it? Write down Jeremiah 9, verses 23 to 24. Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24. The scripture says this. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord. Folks, on the other hand, if temporary materialism is what life is all about, then life wouldn't be worth much. Because look at what happens. Look again at verse 19. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. What's the point? The things of this earth, all the things you look around and see and touch and feel... They're, they're, they're fleeing. They're temporary. They're passing away. John says, love not the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the things of the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And the things of the world are passing away. It's all temporary. And all around us, it's easy to see the demise of, of everything. And what's the lesson in that? The lesson is we're fading too. James says this life is a vapor. It's here for a while and then it's gone. I mean you buy a new truck and you go and look at it in the driveway and boy the paint looks good. You go out the next week and it already looks like the, the paint doesn't have that same glitter or shine to it that it once did. Everything in the world just, just fading away. And it's a wonderful illustration to you and me of how things on this earth are. Folks, if you think about it, it is a gift from God that God allows us to see all this. It's, it's like a sermon in creation. God is... Inviting us to open our eyes and see what happens all around us. And we ought to end up like Moses in Psalm 90 when Moses says, Lord, teach us to number our days that we might live wisely. Folks, we were created for eternity. And nothing on this earth can fill that vacuum inside of you. Nothing on this earth can do that. Only Christ can. Jesus also points out here, do, do the more, not only resist the temptation to make life about the temporary, but do the more difficult thing of treasuring the eternal. He says in verse 20, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. You see what Christ is doing? He's redirecting our passion because man's going to have a passion. We're created in the image of God. We need a purpose. We need a passion. 
It's the way we're put together. You know, when you think about man being created in the, the image of God, scholars talk about this involves the need for community and relationship because the members of the Trinity enjoy community together. They talk about it involves communication. They talk about reason. We're, we're rational thinking creatures. And one thing they also discuss about the image of God in man is creativity. We serve a creative God. Man is creative. We need a purpose. We're going to spend our time and energies on something. And so Jesus is urging his disciples to focus their energies on, on that which will never fade. He's saying invest your life in what God is doing. Invest your life in what has eternal reward. You know, when we're younger, we think we've got all the time in the world to do this. And then somehow or another, the the days are just gone. And we wish we would have lived a more meaningful and purposeful life for God. Then we get older and another temptation arrives. Pastor John Piper's got an old classic book out from probably 15 years ago. Don't Waste Your Life. Some of you may have read that. Piper talks in that book about retirees who spend 15, 20, 30 years of, of their life wasting the last part of their life on bingo, shuffleboard, Fishing and golf and antique shopping. Anything wrong with any of that? No. Can we enjoy those things in moderation? Yes, of course. What he, what he was addressing is those who retire in good health and suddenly they drop off the map when it comes to God's kingdom purposes. Young or old, Jesus is saying invest your life. And what matters most. Don't waste your life. The Bible says after all our true citizenship is in heaven. And so we need to be investing in things in heaven. Well how do you do that? First of all make sure you're at peace with God. Jesus said what's it going to profit a man if he should gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul? Clearly your soul is the greatest treasure you have. And so I want to ask you this morning at the beginning of a new year. Do you know Christ? Does He know you? Are you prepared for what happens next? If you don't know Christ, please talk to us about it. We also need to serve the Lord to be laying up treasure in heaven. Jesus said in John 12, He who serves me, him will my Father honor. Lose yourself in the Lord's work. Find out what your spiritual gift is and use it for the sake of the body of Christ. Be rich toward God. Give What God asks you to give financially. And guess what? You may never see an earthly return on it. But remember, it's treasure in heaven. Another way to invest. Win people to the Lord. Proverbs 11.31 says, He that winneth souls is wise. Also minister to people. Love people, care for people, invest in people, minister to them. Get your eyes off of yourself 
and look at God in others. Folks, treasure in heaven will be there for all of eternity. There's no thieves in heaven. There's no rust. There's no insects eating up your clothes. There's there's no fading beauty. Simon Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1 says that we're going to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. It is reserved in heaven for you. Folks, think about that. Heaven's going to be just as glorious 10,000 years after you get there as it was the first day you arrived. Well, verse 21 gives the clincher. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever you value in life, guess what? That's what you're going to pursue. It is a matter of the heart. You can look at what you invest in. And that reveals what's in your heart. But you know what? I think there's a promise in this verse as well. If we start treasuring the things of God more and investing in the things of God more, in our heart, we'll start loving the things of God more too. Well, not only are we urged to make a secure investment for now and eternity, but secondly, Jesus urges us to have a singular focus that sees clearly what's essential. Look at verses 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Christ is pointing out that things make an impact on your mind. They have to do with your perceptions, your understanding of life. They affect the way you look at life. And he gives an analogy here using the human eye. The eye is like a window that lets light in. The amount of light that gets in is largely dependent on what? The health of your eye. If you have cataracts on your eye or your vision is dim, you're not receiving much light in. What Christ is pointing out here is a healthy eye is a blessing to the body. There's this running analogy that he's giving here between the literal and the spiritual. Here's a person with healthy eyes. The light comes in. They're able to walk about steadily. They they know where they're headed. They know where they're going. And the spiritual lesson is that we're to have eyes to see what really counts in life. We're to be discerning. Again, we're not to look at life. From the perspective of the temporary or the earthly. There's more to life than what we can see. Christ is describing the person who has his life in order. He sees things from a spiritual perspective. He's able to look at life from God's perspective. And the result is that his whole life is affected 
in a very positive way. His whole body, the whole course of his life is full of light. That's what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison while we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Somebody with this proper vision can see the world and the things of the world for what they really are. And so he won't get caught up in the deceitfulness of it all. Well, Jesus goes on to point out too that an unhealthy eye, an unhealthy eye is a curse to the body. If you're literally blind, you walk about in darkness. You don't enjoy a sunrise or a sunset. You can't see it. You can't see the beauty of spring with the flowers blooming, the, the grass turning green, the trees budding. And, and what Jesus is talking about here, he's, he's talking about how tragic this is on a far deeper level. If you've got the wrong perspective on things, if this earth and the things of this earth are, are all you have, there's a darkness in your soul. You're only walking around in ignorance and darkness. You're more blind than the person who is literally blind. On one occasion, Helen Keller, who became a very dedicated Christian lady, she was asked if it was sad to her that she could not see. She said, no, what's the saddest to me is to think of those people who can see and yet they are blind to what matters most. And what's worse, the blindness of someone's spiritual condition affects everything else about their life. Their whole life is turned upside down. The condition of the eye, and again, talking on a deeper level. Folks, Jesus is inviting us to have a single eye. Don't give your eye to everything and anything. Be selective. Give yourself and your energy to God. The Apostle Paul certainly did. He said, the things that were once gained to me, those I now consider loss for the excellency of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. This one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind, I press forward to those things that are ahead, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Do you have a healthy eye again not just talking about the physical do you have a healthy eye spiritually to see what truly matters most in this world well finally Jesus addresses the matter of of having a solitary master 
who alone directs your life. In verse 24 he says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You may think you can serve the riches of the world. You may think you can treasure up treasure on this earth and treasure up treasure in heaven at the same time. But Jesus said, you can't do it. Now, you can work for more than one employer, as many people do. But you can't serve two masters. You can have more than one boss, but only one master. If you try to have more than one, Jesus says you're going to lean to one or the other. It's not a question of advisability. Jesus did not say you should not serve both God and mammon. Likewise, it's not a question of accountability. Jesus said, did not say you must not serve both God and mammon. Rather, it's a question of impossibility. Jesus said you cannot serve God and mammon. You know, years ago because he's been dead now for more than 17 years, Larry Burkett, Christian Financial Concepts, once said that materialism is running rampant in the American church. Quoting this verse right here, Larry Burkett said, Christians are trying to serve God and mammon. Christians pay more in interest than they give to the church. He went on to say, in a typical congregation of a hundred families, now remember this 20 years ago, 17 or more years ago, in a typical congregation of a hundred families, 30, Burkett found in his studies, 37 families give absolutely nothing to their church or the causes of the Lord. He concluded with this thought. He said, Christ said the greatest threat to Christianity is not drugs, sex, murder, rape, or even politicians. The greatest threat is materialism and greed. Folks, in all these areas, whether it's life investments you make or your vision of what matters or who rules your life, what starts off as little transgressions, maybe that you think are so small it doesn't matter ends up with huge consequences I think of the following George Wood writes that on October 31st 1983 Korean Airlines flight 007 departed from Anchorage Alaska for a direct flight to Seoul Korea Unknown to the crew, however, the computer engaging the flight navigation system contained a one and a half degree routing error. At the point of departure, it didn't matter. 100 miles out, didn't matter. But as the giant 747 continued through the Aleutians and out over the Pacific, the plane increasingly The more miles it traveled, the more miles it got off course. Eventually, it strayed over Soviet airspace. Soviet radar picked up the air. Fighter jets scrambled to intercept the 747. Over mainland Russia, uh, mainland Russia, the jets 
the fighter jet shot down flight 007 out of the sky and everybody on board lost their lives. What started as a small course mishap ended up deadly. Think of that in terms of what Jesus is talking here. You say, I, I do most of this, S small, small transgressions in all these areas Jesus is talking about. But as life goes on, it becomes bigger and bigger, the effect it has on you. Folks, this morning I want to invite you to examine your heart and correct those small things where you've gotten off course. Where's your treasure? I know that as Christians, we, we want to immediately chime in. Obviously, our treasures are in heaven. But if you were to honestly examine your life right now, how much your, your time that you spend, your, your actions, material things in your life, what does all of that say about your life? You see, all of that adds up to tell a very powerful story about your life and my life. And I'm not just talking about money this morning. I'm talking about the testimony of your life. Are you striving for the temporal, the earthly, or the heavenly, the eternal? Are you looking at things seen or unseen? Again, I want to ask you, what's, what's maybe one area where you need to make an adjustment this year to get back on track according to Jesus' call here, His urgent call to wise living? What's, what's one area you need to adjust? Perhaps the analogy Jesus gave of the eye speaks to you this morning. If you're honest, you would admit that... When it comes to the things of the world, your eye is bad. You value the wrong things. You pursue the wrong things. Your affections in life are misplaced. And so if you're honest with yourself, you would have to admit life is out of balance. If you were to look at your life from Christ's perspective, your life is out of balance. Why not ask the Lord this morning to help you get all that back on track and to look at life through His eyes. I want to invite each of us today to lay up our treasures in heaven. Whether it comes to getting right with God, whether it comes to your service, your ministry to others, whether or not your life is wrapped up in the Great Commission, all of those things need to be addressed if we're going to treasure up our treasure in heaven. What's God speaking to you about today? Let's pray. Father, I do pray that we would hear an urgent call to wise living. Lord, if, if we could only have the perspective of a Jim Elliot, that we would say, Lord, I want to I lose myself in you and what you're about.
I think of Jesus saying, if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. If you lose it for His sake, you'll save it. God, may we lay our lives, everything we have and everything we're about, may we lay it at your feet in total surrender. And say, Lord, here, I, here am I. God, what do you want to do with me? Here am I. I'm yours, lock, stock, and barrel, sold out to you. I want to live wisely. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?